when I started out, you know, I'm talking medical school in the eighties. So we're, you know, talking over 30 years ago, I didn't know that much about health. You know, I had, I had my ideas, whatever, you know, and I just came in kind of green. I didn't have a holistic health-based viewpoint. Didn't, that wasn't really in my environment at all. And then, you know, getting back to those inner voices, you know, first semester of medical school, I would say like the, the, the uh-oh voices, like, where's the health? Like, we're supposed to be doing healthcare. Like we're, we're talking about some things, you know, like our basic science here is medical training is, is about how the body works and all that. But there's no, like, nobody's talking about like being healthy. Welcome everybody to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prevo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Hey, welcome everybody to this episode of Integrity in the Patient and Doctor Relationship. And yeah, I know this is a little different episode than I usually do around intimate and family relationships, but I think that this is an integral part of our lives right now, especially in this day and age where our medical decisions and our relationship with authorities in the medical field is imperative that we trust, that we get the right information, and that we get what's called informed consent, which I'll be talking about later in the podcast, for each one of us to have the information for us to make decisions that's best for our health. So I have a conversation with Dr. Mark Hoke, and what makes Mark very special? Well, he's very down to earth. He's a kind person. He's very skilled. He's got many years of medical expertise. But what makes him special to me? He is my personal physician. And I chose Mark to have this relationship with me because of his integrity. So I asked him to come on my podcast and we can talk about it. So I am going to tell you a little bit more about Mark. And this is just a little bit about some of his credentials. You can read more about him at his website, markhokemd.com. That's Mark with a K-H-O-C-H-M-D.com. Mark has been a medical doctor for about 30 years. And prior to medical school, he majored in biological sciences with a concentration in neurobiology and behavior at Cornell University. He completed his medical degree at the University of Pittsburgh, where he was a member of the medical school's curriculum committee. He then completed a residency in family medicine at the University of Connecticut and became board certified in family medicine. He's also a founding diplomat, board certified MD of the American Board of Integrative Holistic Medicine. He's also active in the holistic medical movement nationally and as a past president of the American Holistic Medical Association and he is now co-chair of the Past Presidents Council of the Academy of Integrated Health and Medicine, 
the leading associations of physicians and healthcare practitioners devoted to mind-body-spirit medicine since 1978. So I wanted to give you just a little bit of Mark's credentials. And like I said, if you want to find out more about who he is and his expertise and his credentials, you can check him out at markhokemd.com. Okay, folks, at the end of the podcast, if you stay tuned, I want to give you a little bit more information of some references that Mark and I talk about. Here we go. Integrity in the patient-doctor relationship. Let's talk about it. All right, my man. So I, uh, I really appreciate that you wanting to do this because right off the bat when we had our second encounter and that two and a half hours flew by of how I was able to feel such reciprocity with you and talk with you and and definitely like this topic of integrity I really felt your integrity so thanks so much for wanting to share this yeah no great to be here and yeah I just felt that brother connection right off the bat and when we were thinking about doing a podcast immediately the word like integrity came to us and and you being a, a physician and a medical doctor, there's an areas of how that plays into your profession with like informed consent and other things around integrity. But just also the integrity of, as we talked about, you gotta have that those wheels to be a human being, to have the, the basis of, of integrity. So when you think about integrity and walking in the world and relationships, like what do you wanna bring to that? What, what, what part of you is that you can say, I, I feel like I'm an integrity in my life? Yeah, that's a great question. The first thing that comes just to be authentic and be, you know, real. And to be who I really am and then to be able to know the real depth of who I am to myself. Because, you know, they, we have a saying, it's like, you know, he who knows himself knows his Lord. You know, so it's like knowing the truth of that and then getting, you know, deep into the the principles of good living, you know, because I think that that's really key. I'm, I'm always, no matter what I'm doing or teaching, it's always about what are the, what are the fundamentals? What are the principles that, that make that work in the right way? And then to, you know, to follow those. So it's, it's for me about number one intention, setting the course to either do that or figure that out. And then the second piece is attention. You know, are we, on the right path? Are we, are we paying attention to what we're actually doing so that we know what's going on and are we walking straight or are we falling in the ditch or are we just like wandering aimlessly or that sort of thing? What do you think happens when people, they get a little blinded when they're, they're off the path? Like they, they, they're not even conscious that they're out of integrity. You know, we talked about in order to know integrity, you also have to be out to know how far you're out of what integrity is. And there, there are many people that, that don't have that compass in some way, you know, of knowing like they're, they're moving out of integrity. Yeah. Well, that's right. The first thing is to, to get those principles. And some of us, I think are taught very well in our culture and our families and our, the systems we grow up in. And many of us don't, aren't taught that. And we have to go searching. Were you taught that in your family? Like, was that modeled or? To a great degree? Yes. I would say not so much on the spiritual plane, but definitely taking care of people, what's right, what's wrong, you know, being responsible. 
on some level. I, you know, I think both my parents are very good at that. Mother was, mother was very good about some of the relationship stuff, you know, the thank you notes and all that, but also like being responsible, like, you know, whether it's taking care of your room or learning how to do this or that, and you know, the house and my father, you know, in terms of the similar taking care of the yard, taking, you know, we, we, at one point we started had a farm and take care of the animals and, you know, and just making sure you, you took care of your stuff too. So it didn't break down. You, you, you know, you, you had a respect for things and you wanted them to stay working and not get careless. And then, you know, find you broke it or didn't take care of it. It broke down. You were out without it. So that was a big piece. I think in the social scene to a good degree too, you know, the spiritual piece was pretty much absent. I, I didn't really find it anywhere in my childhood or, you know, so much, or even in an educational system anywhere. Yeah. Was there anything that you can recall also in your past was these moments of, I don't want to say epiphany of connection to, to in integrity, but I mean, I even like, I, I, I have these like choice moments that I look at in, in some of my life, or did not just choice, like awareness moments. Like when I, my son always reminds me of aspects of integrity. Like, you know, I, he'll ask me, you know, for some money for something when he was a teenager and and he would come back with like fucking change, you know, and, and he was like, hey, dad, I never got it. Or it was only, you know, $10 instead of, instead of 20. And I'm like, what fucking 13 year old gives you back fucking change? You know, like that was, that was so integral of, of him. And it kind of reminds me when I see integrity, how that reminds me that I need to, I, I need to do a check. Like, am I in, in integrity in, in these ways and in these areas? And uh, I'm curious of, I mean, how we have our, our conversation about integrity is in, in, in your work and your relationship with your work. I mean, you're rare. I mean, you know, people go ahead and like read Mark's blogs and, and how I love how you start off with, with I'm paraphrasing to my patients, family and friends who I dearly love and care about, you know, right there, you are offering your, your informed consent of some belief systems and, I thought like right there, that's, that's the care. That's integrity. Yeah. Coming from that place as opposed to trying to drive some point home or. Yeah. And then for me that that's what opens the door to finding the truth in the first place. Cause we don't know life's this exploration and we have to take in things and test it out a bit, you know, try it out. And I don't know if in some ways I just feel super blessed in that, you know, I've made, tons of mistakes in my life. It's not like that, but you know, when the, when the big stuff shows up, it's like some, somehow that compass just is that, you know, I find if I slow down and just pay attention, it's like there, like which way to go. Or if it's like, yeah, that just doesn't feel right. I may need to really slow down to figure out what's not right about it. But if I don't do that, I'm probably going to be in trouble because the warning sign was there, you know, the, the light was flashing and so you what know, do you mean by attention. trouble? Like your own, your own, like it will just, well, it's going to turn out wrong. Yeah. You know, like, right. you, and you have to cover your ass all the time after that. And yeah. Or and, we know like, you know, I knew that I just knew that wasn't going to be the right choice or I shouldn't have made that investment or I shouldn't have treated that person this way. Or, you know, sometimes we don't, and you know, it's the heat of the moment. And then we realize later it, it's a little different, but there are times where hopefully we learn from those moments when we, the uh-oh voice went off and then we're like, 
yeah, I knew I should have followed that. (laughs) What do you see with people also in how it shows up in their maybe physical ailments when people aren't in integrity? And if they get back in integrity, do you see a relationship they have with their health? It transforming by people who are aligned in their integrity as opposed to people that are off in integrity? That's a great question. Yeah, I, I totally do. I'm sure you see this with relationships. You know, it's like the quality of relationships people attract or find themselves in because they're going to just attract, they're going to be in resonance either with someone who's in integrity or doesn't care about integrity, you know, and this, this was a really fascinating one for me. I had this person several years ago who had a problem with mercury poisoning and also mercury and lead poisoning. And, uh, you know, I was pretty sick from it. You know, I know the science of how to deal with that. It's something I've treated many times before. It's how my, you know, sort of my protocol that I learned from other people refined over time. And it was like, we couldn't do anything, to get this mercury and lead out. You know, it's like here, you know, we're doing the right diet. We're doing the right detox protocol, we're doing the right medications, the right supplements, whatever. And the interesting thing to me was this person was married in, in a quote unquote open relationship, you know, and then one day her husband ran off like with the other woman, you know, the third wheel or the fourth, who knows how many wheels were on and the bus. And they communicated. <laughs> and it was a devastating moment for her. And we worked with that. And on some level, she realized where she was out of integrity with the relationships, but more importantly, where she was out of integrity with herself with the boundaries that of things that were really right for her and not right for her. So we, we did this dance with the American led literally for two years. Okay. After this happened within six months, didn't change the protocol, bang, 80 plus percent of the lead and mercury gone. It's like in her being, she made the connection and then her body's like, okay, this is toxic. It doesn't belong here. We're kicking it out. And it didn't do that for two years before that. So when she released some aspect of her emotional toxicity, her body released yeah, the physical she, toxicity. Yeah, the toxicity and, and she got clear with the boundaries, what's toxic, what's safe, what's right, what's not right for me. That was the most dramatic one, but I, I've seen that with the toxicity, you know, like environmental toxins, you know, particularly heavy metals, but other things too, where, you know, that happens and boom, I, another case similar recently too, a person lost a lot of weight, lost a lot of lead and it was like, wow. Wow. So that, you know, that that's a more concrete example when you, when you're seeing that and you're following how they're feeling, but you're following the lab test, you know, lab test state doesn't change, doesn't change, doesn't change. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's like rapidly disappearing, stays away. And the per- and not only did the, the test get better, but the, the person's health was much better. Their fatigue, their brain fog, their, all the stuff just went away. Yeah. How, do, how are you navigating? I mean, this time that it's kind of crazy with all that's going on with, with medicine and science. And how do you, how do you nav- navigate around seeing people out of integrity, aligning with people in your profession that are integrity? I mean, that's one thing that I, I like to align with people that are in my integrity. One, it really amplifies and helps me see my integrity. Would we inspire each other to stay in integrity or you being integrity inspires me to be in my own way. How are you experiencing all of this from an integral standpoint of how we're 
so all over the board around our health right now. Yeah, that's that's been kind of my journey in my profession because when I started out, you know, I'm talking medical school in the 80s. So we're, you know, talking over 30 years ago. I didn't know that much about health. You know, I had, I had my ideas, whatever, you know, and I just came in kind of green. I didn't have a holistic health-based viewpoint. Didn't, that wasn't really in my environment at all. And then, you know, getting back to those inner voices, you know, first semester of medical school, I would say like the, the, the uh-oh voices, like, where's the health? Like, we're supposed to be doing healthcare. Like, we're, we're talking about some things, you know, like our basic science here is medical training is, is about how the body works and all that. But there's no, like, nobody's talking about like being healthy. And I always thought that was a really weird thing. So what I- What were they talking about then? Well, it was just like this, how this functions. And then after, then it's all about going against what we don't like. You know, it was more of an epiphany for me. And so it's like, okay, so if all we're doing is going against what we don't like, and if we find stuff, we're like blowing it up and killing it with anti. Because I started this journey too. It's like, okay, those medications, anti-allergy, antibiotic, anti-hypertensive, anti-seizure, anti-depressant, anti. Like, okay, so we're we're against all these things, right? But what are we for? What are we trying to do? And you know, the, what comes to me is like, if you're trying to get somewhere. If you run into a hundred people and they, you know, I don't care. Let's say you're trying to get to Charlotte from here, you know, and people, and everyone's like, don't go to Hendersonville, man. Don't go to Weaverville. Don't, you know, don't go to Boone. And like, how are you ever going to get to Charlotte if you don't even know where it is and nobody can tell you how to get there? You know, to me, it, it's sort of like bizarre. It's, it didn't make any sense to me. So it, it set me on this journey more like from a more, Western scientific view, because my, my undergraduate degree was in neuroscience and, and behavior, but very biology, you know, and I kind of gotten to the end of the consciousness thing there. It didn't leave me where I wanted to go. And then I get into this thing. And, it, and so then it's just like, okay, what is health? Where are we trying to go? Because you're never going to get to the promised land if you don't even know the promised land exists or you, you have no idea where it is, how to get there. So that, that's kind of been my journey this last 30 years plus and do you feel that like we're like still skewed way out about like we're not we're not fucking looking at health we're not teaching health right now what's going on with everything you know we're really not and it's been disappointing to me because i thought there'd be more of an evolution you know over time and i yeah when i was a medical student in 1986 i joined the american holistic medical association and then started studying a whole bunch of things through them with those, you know, herbs and nutrition and other healthy things. And I, nine years later, was actually on the board. I became president, you know, in 2003. I can't believe it was that long ago. And, you know, I was helped set up a holistic center in Phoenix in the 1990s, which was very health-based. And it fell apart because the, the financial people messed it up, not because the the model wasn't working. It was super successful that way. And it hasn't really been replicated. And I just don't see, it's been a disappointment. I thought, you know, and then it became integrative medicine and functional, you know, and it really still hasn't gotten to the health piece, you know, and it's been really, it's been hard to watch it. I came to Asheville. I, I worked on several projects when I got here 10 years ago 
and they all either fell apart or were destroyed by the powers that be because they didn't want it to happen or didn't understand it or you know it's pretty pretty weird so you know circling back i look back you know there's like 135 people in medical school class and i was like number 135 <laughs> <laughs> on one end and it still kind of feels to some degree like that i i definitely have great colleagues and people that i've known for years or decades that i you know i still hang with and you know we learn from each other all the time whether it's at conferences or just we keep in touch but i haven't really seen it change much and even from then, an integrity standpoint, do you think that's slipping? Or, you know, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know if it's because of aspects of social media, how people are out there and the ways of being out of integrity. There's constantly people are out of integrity on a, on a mass social basis where everybody can see it, how people talk to each other, how people uh, treat each other. Um, it's, it's out there to, to, I mean, we all know, like, don't talk to somebody like that. That's like, that's not being a good human being. That's being so out of integrity. And now that's even going on. And again, between the fear that people are feeling right now, I think takes them out of, out of their integrity. Fear is a huge motivation to take us out of who we are, our true selves. That's how we make decisions and everything, right? Yeah. Like, totally agree with that. I really see that. Yeah. It's the, the information has like been weaponized, you know, is the way I look at it. And I think in terms of medicine, it, it was falling apart before that, you know, I was lucky enough to train with, you know, what I affectionately would call some of the, the dinosaurs. So like I had some professors, you know, they were in their eighties, you know, one of my surgery professors, he was retired from surgery, but he was still teaching this guy's like 86 and he's telling us the first time they ever used antibiotics, like in the 1920s, you know, and how it saved, it was a game changer. And even though that was still kind of a antibiotic, you know, I used the word antibiotic. The difference to me was he, he had such reverence for the discovery and how it was enabled him to help people. He was literally like watching a kid, opening their Christmas presents for the first time, you know, in their life, he, he had that sparkle in his eye and you, you, he just, he just exuded that like wonder and, but also the reverence. This was really cool because it enabled us to help people. And, you know, it was always, a, even though our culture and you let me know if this is going in, you know, in the right direction here. When I, when I study our culture and our, in our quote unquote health system or our medical system, I've gone back, I don't care, 30,000 years. You go to Egypt, you go even to Greece, which is Western, you know, but you look at China, you look at Ayurvedic medicine from India, you look at Arabic medicine, you look at Native American traditions and different shamanic traditions and the herbalists and the naturopaths. Every single system is based on health except ours. It's the only one that I found ever in like human history that is not based in health. So the first aha was like, yeah, the problem with healthcare is there's no health. And then over time, you know, what I've seen is everything has become industrialized and, you know, healthcare people, instead of being called professionals, they're called practitioners, they're called providers, they're providing for a health insurance company or something, you know, and then people are consumers of healthcare. And it's like, it got turned into this like, algorithm system like everyone just gets thrown into this 
thing. And if you got this, then you do this. And so many doctors are technicians now. They're not physicians. You know, they're doc, the word doctor means teacher. You know, they're not teaching. They're informing people about how to be healthy. They're, they're just doing some technical process. You know, it becomes more assembly. Like, like how many colonoscopies can we... So why, why aren't more, we'll stay with that, with yeah. your profession, why aren't yeah. more doctors doing what you do, like with informed consent? Like it's right there on your website for people to be able to, to see of like giving informed consent, we're talking about right now around the COVID vaccine and, and how, to, how to maneuver and make your decisions. That's part of the oath, isn't it? To be an integrity, to give informed con- consent to, to your patients? Yeah, I mean, it starts with, you. first of all, you have, the professional has to be informed. They have to know what they're doing and they have to know if we are charged, which we are, we have to take an oath, you know, that your medical school graduation, it's depends on which school it is. It's you know heavily based on the Hippocratic oath way back to Greece. You know, it's like you're there in service to people. And if we have to be informed ourselves to know what's going on, we have to, we have to know the science and also the art of our profession and we have to know like what I don't care what it is if it's a surgical procedure it's a medication it's you're counseling someone on dietary things or something or you know if it's a emergency authorized vaccine we have to know like okay what's the disease what's the course of that disease what happens with it and of course that's evolving you know I have a different impression of that now than I did a year ago or 15 months ago when we first learned about this and then it's like okay how does the vaccine work? What were the results from the study on the vaccine that got it emergency authorized? Cause they're, they're actually still not approved because they, they fast tracked everything. And then there's a piece where you got to follow what's going on. And so I didn't put this blog out until like March because like the Johnson Johnson study wasn't published. And, you know, and it took me hours to go through these things, cause some of them are like 65 pages and it's very dense material. And you got to, you know, you got to see what the statistics are really showing what's really happening to understand, you know, what you're recommending. So part of it is the time now that every, everybody's a widget, you got six minutes because the way it's set up and the, and I've got out of the insurance system like 20 years ago because I found that I couldn't do a good job. I couldn't be an in integrity. In other words, I couldn't, spend the time, explain things to people, or even figure out what was going on in the amount of time, because you're like, you sign these contracts and it says like, we'll make you this great deal. We'll pay you 40% less than we pay. And for that benefit, you get to do all this paperwork and administrative stuff for us. Great deal. What happens? So like I spend, I try to spend, unless it's really simple, I spend two hours or more with somebody on the first visit. And when they come back, if something's really quick, it's 15 minutes, you know, there was a half hour, an hour. Cause a lot of times I'm doing osteopathic work, it's hands-on. You got to really, you know, be with the person to treat the body. It takes time, you know, but if I'm getting paid for six minutes, how many times can I spend an hour with somebody a day before I go bankrupt? You know, it's like a week. <laughs> so there's, there's this big time pressure. And then there's sort of like, well, here are the guidelines and all you have to do is follow the guidelines. And if you follow the guidelines, you're fine. That's the st- quote unquote standard of care. And if you do that, it doesn't matter if it's good, terrible, obviously super stupid, you're fine because you're protected because you're following the standard of care, you know? And I'm always like, 
if the standard of care is good, great. If not, I want to exceed that. I want, I want to do what's really right and what's really good, not just what somebody said is passable. And I, so I think that's, that's a problem. And then, you know, you have all these financial interests with the pharmaceuticals and the insurance, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the hospital gets bought up by this company and they change the rules and, and everybody's scrambling because they changed the plan. Like, you know, here with mission was buying up all the practices, the doctors work in the hospital. Then the next company comes in and is like, no, that's a bad model. You're all fired. So like, so on some you know, level, like there's, it's a foundational lack of integrity, like just following health. It's missing out on a foundational level. Right. So nobody's paying attention to health. And now the second casualty in the word healthcare is there's also no care because what are we serving? You know, and it goes back to the, you know, the Bob Dylan song, you got to serve somebody, you know, and what are we serving? Are we serving the algorithm? Are we serving what the insurance company wants? Are we serving what the pharmaceutical company wants? Are we serving what the hospital wants? Are we serving what, whatever. And the casualty is, is all of us because the people we have, you know, and I've, I've made this argument even to mega millionaires who, who are putting money into good stuff. And I'm like, we don't need to do anything more. We already have the medicine. We know what works. We know what's good for people. We just have to give it to them. We have to make it available. You don't have to spend $10 million or hire some hotshot who went to some big school or worked at NIH, you know, to, put their name on it so they look cool. We we got it. And we just have to give it to the people. And and that's not happening a lot right now too. Like when no. like with early treatment with COVID, like as a as a doctor, whether whether something is prescribed for that that disease or ailment, won't you be trying like all kinds of all kinds of stuff for people to to help them get well and healthy as opposed to just let them just wait till they need to go to the hospital. Isn't that an, like a basic aspect of integrity of that you try to give people early treatment when they're sick? Yeah. Cause if you're there to actually help the person, yeah, of course, that's what you would do. Well, why is that not like, well, it's part of it, you know, some of the things that, that I do, I'm, I'm a little bit off the, a little bit off the beaten track, you know, with nutritional things, there's, you know, most of the stuff, there, we have great clinical clinical experience. Like, you know, a lot of the protocols I have for viruses, you know, let's say like vitamin C or whatever, you know, there, we know that that would work. I've been doing it for 20 years. You know, you knock out the flu in one or two days, you know, that's great. You know, so we have that, but even for people who doctors are less comfortable with vitamins or herbs because they're not trained, we have studies that show that pharmaceutical drugs work, you know, and no, you know, they there were fraudulent studies published on some medications like the hydroxychloroquine. I, I am not an expert on the use of that for this particular condition. I think it's probably does work to some degree, but you know, when you have people publishing fraudulent studies and then the journal claiming to peer review it and then publish it when they knew it probably wasn't true, but they never peer reviewed it, you know, and then, it's just pure lies and it has to get retracted. But you don't hear about the retraction usually. <laughs> well, you hear a little bit, but that's for the uh-oh thing. It's like, right. so my, so for me, with that particular medication, it's like, okay, so why did you fraudulently make up this data? So like the example, the way, the way they got caught, so the lead doctor was from Harvard, and the way that he got caught publishing fraudulent data was another doctor from Harvard said, 
Well, isn't it interesting that you claim that this drug killed this many people at this one hospital in Australia that you were studying? But what I find interesting about that, that's more than all of the people in Australia who died in the same time period combined. So how is it that more people died from your study in one hospital than died in the entire nation at the same time? And he got 99 other doctors and scientists to sign on to this thing. And he went to the Lancet, you know, which is one of the two best journals in Britain. And they were like, where'd you get the data? We don't have to tell you. Yes, you do, because this is public information. And so it turned out they just made it all up. The journal never peer reviewed it and they had to retract it. So to me, that's like, uh-oh, why is somebody doing that? Then you have another study that's done in Brazil where they take a more toxic drug and they give them five times the dose that works of a drug that has toxicity to it. And they claim it hurts all these people. And that gets published. And the New York Times runs with it. Okay. So I write to the New York Times and I say, it's interesting you published this study, which would seem to be designed to hurt people. And there are two studies that were done in New York City hospitals with the same drug that showed A, that it worked and B, they were on continuous heart monitoring and zero out of the 162 people had heart toxicity where you're claiming this other study showed that it was very toxic to the heart. I thought you were a New York City newspaper. Why are you reporting on a study that seems to be designed to harm people in Brazil, but you're not reporting on studies that were done at two New York City hospitals that I'm living in North Carolina now, and somehow I got this data, and nobody in New York City has this data, and, you, and, and they wouldn't retract the first one or talk about the second one. So, you know, that's when I say the uh-oh, same as like, okay, so... People are lying about stuff and they're not public. They refuse to publish the truth. So there's, there's a problem there. You know, it doesn't prove that the drug works, but it's like, there's obviously some really big systemic problem here. And then you look at another drug like ivermectin, East Virginia Medical School has been collecting data on this for over a year. They have a 65 page amazing document, all the studies prevents COVID in healthcare workers, treats early COVID, treats late COVID, doctors are using it at the University of Texas in ICU settings, doctors using all over the place, decreasing death rates by 85% from COVID. You know, this is a doctor who's got a master's of public health, who's been on medical safety commissions, you know, knows his stuff. And then, you know, he's testifying in Congress and the senator tell him, doctor, you don't know what you're talking about. The, the NIH would have, you know, if this was real, they would have said that. And, and the doctor's like, these studies have been published for over four months. How come the, the NIH never reviewed it? They, they just said it doesn't work. They never re said they reviewed any one of the studies. Pierre Corey? Dr. McCullough uh -huh. at the University of Texas. So it's like, you know, so and this other doctor too, you know, these guys have published yeah, hundreds of hundreds hundreds of studies, of you know, yeah. in, in peer review. And the senators are telling them they're wrong. And it's like, when you, and then when you look at the studies, you know, I haven't looked at all of them because there's, there's hundreds of them, but it's really compelling. And then, you know, when I've used it, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have to use it often. So it's for me, it's like, if, if we're in this death defying pandemic, why are we not treating people with things that we know from common sense work, but also we know from very well done scientific studies that are published, you know, in peer reviewed medical journals, multiple ones, not like one, if you're skeptical one study, that's fine. And then, you know, you got medical schools, using these things and their results are much better. Like McCullough stuff, 85% decrease in death rate. If I was a public health official, I'd be like, 
dude, show me what you're doing. This is amazing. We, you know, you, we, if, if you're claiming you 500,000 people died, okay, so what's 85%? That's 400 some odd. That's more than 400,000 people you could have saved. And if you're telling them there's no treatment when doctors not only have shown in studies, but they're showing in clinical practice in U.S. hospitals, what's going on here? So there's a difference between like an it, ignorance and like outright lying and, and burying information or stopping treatments. I mean, that's a whole aspect of how integrity gets just f flip flopped. You know? Yeah. So like, uh, that's what, what I would say. And people go, like, where do you get information? You know, and I don't even have to go into different sources and websites. So like the primary way I get information, I read the studies. Like people say, where'd you get the idea that Nobody in the placebo groups of the Moderna and Pfizer groups is 33,000 people, you know, who got the placebo. Zero died from COVID, you know, especially this death defying thing. So like they go, well, that's your opinion. I go, no, I read this. Where did you, where's your opinion that that's wrong? I'm giving you what Pfizer published and Moderna published when they gave to the CDC. And that was completely unsupervised. They did all in their stuff. Nobody was looking over their shoulder. They designed the study however they wanted and they just reported back. They said, we did this. We supervised it. We designed it. We, these are our results. That's what they said. That's not my opinion. That's what they said. That's what they found. So it comes back to like, even like you said, people aren't taking that time. Well, they take time, but then like, you know, they, they'll attack you for saying something that's true, or you put that on YouTube or Facebook, it gets taken down for disinformation. It's not, it's true. So, you know, I could see where the public gets lost. And then, you you know, you know the media is always, you know, fear-based. It's like always 24-7 emergency news, like we really need that all the time. You know, if you got a tornado in your neighborhood, maybe you do, or you got a flood or fire burning down downtown. Of course, that's important, but that's rarely happening. And people don't get what the real deal is. And then the part that really is hard for me when I, when I bring this up, some of my colleagues, you know, they're totally on the same page anyway, because they've been reading it and paying attention. They're doing this stuff and they're getting good results. But other people, it's like, you know, they'll attack you or say it's not true. And I just say, Hey, tell you what I copied and I'll tell you which page of Pfizer's website, which page of the CDC website, which page of the NIH website I copied this off of. And if you can find one error in punctuation, I don't care if it's a five-page document, 65-page, you let me know. And not one person has found one character. When I say character, I mean like, you know, a letter or a period or a comma to be off in, in what I've sent them. Because I'm copying and pasting it right out of the direct source. And so... I'm trying to understand, like, what's the problem if I'm giving you the, the, the primary source data? What, why is that an opinion and it's wrong? And that's, that's the challenging part because it's not just that, you know, you're having an argument with somebody. It's like, yeah, if people are dying, why aren't we helping them? Or why aren't we trying to at least figure out the best way we can help them and prevent them from dying and prevent them from getting sick and understand what the risks are if we're going to make an intervention, you know, whether it's use a medication, use a vitamin, use herb, use a emergency authorized vaccine, you know, you have to know the plus and minuses of that, you know, otherwise it's not an informed decision. And then, you know, the, the, this idea of consent comes in, it's like, what are you consenting to? Is it this made up 
I wouldn't even call it reality. This this made up mythic thing that the media is telling you is that what you, you know what what are you really consenting to? Because you don't really know because you have no idea what you're doing and why you're doing it and what's going on and what went into it and what it's about. And it's not about it's it's bad because it's this or it's good because of this. That to me that's not it. It's like it's about the truth and what's really going to work for people. You know, and I always tell people the job picks the tool. That's my motto. So. I've had people, you know, accuse me of not using a pharmaceutical and I should have, or they, they say, I thought you're holistic. How come I got a kidney stone? You told me to drink five cans of cola. And I'm like, dude, because if you drink five cans of cola, you got 85% chance that your kidney stone is going to be gone in less than 24 hours. And if you don't, I don't care if you go to the hospital, if you take all the pharmaceuticals, you do tons of pain medication, you got like a 0% chance of getting better by tomorrow. So don't drink the Kool-Aid, drink the cola. And so, you know, he's 70s hippie, hippie guy. I love him. You know, so he's like, okay, I'll do it. He does it. And, you know, his kidney stone dissolves in 24 hours. And I told him, you know, do, do a stevia one without caffeine if you want, you know, that sort of thing. You know, because the science is the phosphoric acid is obviously kidney stone. So like, let's get rid of the kidney stone, keep you out of the hospital, keep you off like Percocet and don't get you addicted to pain meds. And they'll have you be banging on the you know, the floor screaming all night in pain. And and then he's like, okay. And then it comes back like, that was cool. I'm glad I did that, you know? And I just picked that because that that's what's going to work for him. Not because I like cola, because I don't think it's generally a destructive beverage, but in this case, it's curative, <laughs> you know? You know, I'm just thinking like, you know, you know, that saying about, you know, beating to your own drum or whatever, you know I mean? That's mm -hmm. how I, I, I think of you, mm -hmm. you know, in some way. But I'm just wondering... We talked in the beginning a little bit about the spiritual aspects of being being an integrity, and I'm just wondering: is is your connection to your own spirituality keeping you on the track of your integrity? Because people can ridicule you; they can, you know, tell you you're 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 wrong in all these areas, and you're speaking your truth and what you believe is right by all of your faculties. Is that part of you? Is like I don't give a fuck, you know, about being ridiculed or not going along. I'm going to be in integrity and do what I think is best for the care of, of people. Absolutely. Because if we fall prey to those things, in my estimation, we lose ourselves. And we, if you lose ourselves, what do we have left? You know, and it's not so much, you know, following my, the, you know, the drum of my heartbeat. You try to find the right principles that, you know, people call them laws of nature, divine, divine laws, whatever, and understand how they work. But, the proof is always in the pudding, you know, it's in the fruit that they bear. And so sometimes we just have, we have to go down a path and see if it's the right path, you know, and, and when something keeps working, you know, when you're successful and you don't keep falling in the ditch or get lost in the weeds over and over again, it's like, that's success. That's what I look at. And if it's not turning out that way, there's problems, you know, you got to, say, wait a second, maybe I missed something. Maybe I got a principle off fundamentally this, or I listened to some advice that wasn't right. Or, you know, I came up with some idea that turns out it's really not the truth. You got to verify it, you know? And that's what I mean by the attention piece is like, keep paying attention. Now, when people come in, it's like, don't do this because I said to do it. You know, it's got to make, I'm trying to make it fit into your life and your construct that people come to see me, but it's also we're going to together walk down the road and pay attention. Like, how are you feeling? What's your blood test show? What, what's new information's come down the road is, are we getting where we're, we want to go? And 
when you repeatedly do that, you know you're on the right track or you you learn how to navigate a little left, a little bit right. You know, like I heard this from people in the aviation industry, you know, when a plane is flying, let's say from here to Los Angeles, it's off course more than 90% of the time. But, you know, if there's not a crazy windstorm or some airport problem, the plane lands on time because the pilots and the automatic pilot thing, it's paying attention. Did the wind shift? Did something happen? Is another plane coming in our thing? Do we have to adjust? And it, you know, and they just keep constantly adjusting. So they're, they never get off course too far for too long and they get there on time. So it, that's what I mean by the paying attention part. And if we look inside, this has been my experience. And there's a lot of teaching on this, you know, this is not my idea, but if we pay attention to those signals and use that guidance and then learn when, what it feels like in our body and what our experience is when we're on right guidance and when we're off because we don't want to be ridiculed or because we're afraid we're going to lose money or we're, you know, what, or somebody told us this and it sounded good, you know, like, and it really wasn't. To me, it's super important to, to be able to use that awareness in our own being, which is programmed in there, in my experience, to, to learn how to navigate. Cause it, it's, it, it's a skill just like anything else. We have to practice it. I've worked really hard, really long to practice that. Cause to me, that's the most important thing. So then, you know, again, keeps you out of trouble. I like that, that part of just uh, knowing that we got to practice. I mean, like you said, there's a core, I believe that there's a core element around human integrity and being a human being, but we sure as hell have to practice it. You know yeah. I mean? On all the little things like I, I say this example at times, but I used to have a, a, a thing about not telling my, my wife how much I would pay for my pants or something I bought. I would always say, hey, honey, I got it on sale. And was, ah, it's been 70 bucks, not, not 40. Why that little thing that I can't just be in integrity? It's, it's a constant practice, wherever that came from or how that was. It's just a constant practice because I know the core part of me wants to be aligned. And it's the fear part of what is she going to think? Am I going to not get love from her? She's going to withdraw love because, you know, I spent 70 bucks on a pair of pants. And it's ridiculous. You're right. And the practice, because we're, we're going to screw up. And you mentioned this before, too. It's like, you know, there, there's a mercy and a wisdom in, in screwing up or missing the mark or making a mistake. It's like, then we know what that feels like. And we know what the results are and how, what the impacts are and the consequences on other people. And then it's like, okay, so that, that's a great teacher. You know, the first mistake is usually more, it's not a bad thing, it's a teacher. You know, if you make the same mistake over and over again, that's the real problem. Hopefully this will be helpful to folks, but, you know, one of the things that I've seen, you know, you hear about this in, in spiritual traditions, but when you're, when you're with people at the end of their life, and I've had that, that honor and privilege both as a physician and also with family members, people talk about this thing called the life review, you know, where uh, before you die, you get a, a really good sense of, your whole life, people say your whole life flashes, you know, in front of you. That's really profound. You know, I, I've had a sense of that in, in witnessing people and talking to them. And, you know, about five years ago now, my first wife passed away and it was very difficult, but it was like the holiest time going that journey as she was fading out of this life. And when she had that life review, cause I could see it on her face. Like she would at the end, last days kind of go out in the ethers, you know, and like seemingly be gone and then come back. I got a sense of that, but we, we had a super profound talk. 
it was so clear to me that she was in that short period of time, she got the download, the zip file that was compressed. Like you can't believe like everything, how every single thing she did in her entire life and every single way she treated every single person in every single situation, she got the download, like the consequences and what that meant, you know, and that was such a profound teaching. And, you know, it was also really beautiful because we could get to a place and we were, you know, we were in a good place. We were married 23 years, you know, so we, we, you know, we were in a good place in our relationship, but that was a teaching, but it also, this thing about missing the mark, you know, cause you're going to mess up in a relationship and partly cause you've never been, you know, that's the thing about life. It's like most of the time where we're going, we never been there before, you know, cause we're on this adventure and, you know, we got to this place where we could each completely honestly and completely be in a place of understanding and forgiveness of the other person. So she expressed it to me in words, but I could feel it from her heart. You know, it was like, we're good. There's nothing unfinished between us. You know, I miss her of course, but you know, and there's grief over that, but there's not, you know, grief over either one of us hurting each other or that sort of thing. Cause it's such a gift, you know, cause it was like, such a gift yeah, that she gave you. That. Yeah. What a gift. I mean, it's just like, and when you get to that place of understanding that everything you do does matter and it does have a consequence, I think it makes it easier to try to do the right thing. And that's going to evolve. And you know, what was the right, just like with little kids, you know, anybody said kids, you know, what's the right thing for a two-year-old to do is not okay for a three-year-old. And when a three-year-old is not okay for a five-year-old, you know, there's an evolution and, and we're, we're constantly refining what we're doing. We're but better, if we have that realization, know. we don't want to keep pushing it away. You know, the things that if I know that I'm going to feel the consequences of, of my actions or, or decisions, that realization for me, what makes me go like, I don't want to keep pushing that away. I better start like now making the decision so I don't have more of that experience at the end. I know that I'm going to have that, but it makes me, I love the saying that I have up here about at the end of the life, what, what most matters is how well did you live? How well did you love? And how well did you let go? I would love to, to be able to answer those questions at the end of my life, you know, in a way that I feel an integrity around that. And that's a beautiful teaching of to know yeah. that that she experienced that, downloaded it. I was able to communicate it, you know, quite a, quite effectively. It wasn't, wasn't a, it was a surprisingly short conversation, but it was like super clear, super clean, super cool on those levels. And um, yeah, thanks, Kath. Appreciate it. Mm. And I think if we come with that attitude, because I think a lot of this comes down to attitude, that attitude, you know, that life's a, a journey, it's an exploration, it's an adventure. And we're constantly learning, like, you know, we're learning our way, like one of my teachers, Gary David, who's an, he's an epistemologist. I, I love this guy. You know, it's like, he talks about just healthy learning or learning our way through, you know, so we're, you know, and it's the same principles here. We're paying attention and we're, you know, we're, we're always learning. So we, yeah. And it's refining and getting better. It's not about being perfect the first time and maybe never be perfect the day we die, but we're purifying and perfecting. We're not, we're not perfect. 
we're trying to do good. We're trying to be better. We're trying to, you know, do that for ourselves and everybody else. That's what keeps me, you know, walking straight and not worrying about, no, you know, I'm careful. Like I don't want to hurt people. I don't. And, and I do my research. Like when I come up with statistics and stuff, it's like, it's not, I'm not like, Hey, this guy said something. I could use that to like bang this other guy down who I don't disagree with. Like, I don't think that's a good practice to begin with, but you know, I want to make sure that when I'm saying it, I can back it up with the facts and hopefully deliver it in a way, in a kind way that people can hear it. They may or may not, but that's going to keep the conversation, you know, for me, that's going to keep the conversation going in a good direction and hopefully we can work it out. We're not going to work every, you're a therapist, you know, we not necessarily going to work every problem out with everybody. It's not always going to turn out the way everybody likes and everybody feels good, but it's certainly worth trying. Yeah. And unfortunately, right now, I think there's a little tolerance in people to be able to be open enough to let the truth come out or to let a dialogue come out around being curious, being interested and not concluding and writing people off. And we've lost some of that, that tolerance, which I think is, I was listening to a podcast with Kyle Kingsbury and uh, David Martin. David Martin told about I'm probably not going to get this right, but there's some history in the Persian culture. And there was a Persian king that there was one law that was capital punishment. And that, that law was, if you weren't tolerant, it was capital punishment. And you had to be tolerant of another's viewpoint that was actually really opposite than yours. You're trying to help them achieve what it is that they need and want it, even if it was so different from yours. And if you didn't tolerate other people to some degree, it, it was death. <laughs> and I just thought, oh my God, that's like... That's intense, man. That's intense, <laughs> right? That just made me think about how how little we're valuing some aspect of of having tolerance with different opinions, but at the same time, it's very difficult, I know, when there's like this ignorance of not being able to see facts and truths and being open to information. Right. I think it, we always got to be trying to work together to the common good. And then there are times, you know, where if we do see something that's really wrong and it's really hurting people, there's a place of, you know, standing up against it, you know, whether it's speaking out or, or doing something because it doesn't help us. We can't turn a blind eye to that. If you're walking down the street and someone's beating someone else, you, especially if you know that the person who's getting hit is innocent, like, how can you walk by? Hear that, people, because people walk by. And that question is like, how can, how can you walk by? Don't be the person that walked by. Because I know usually if you're going to be the person that walked walk by, you're going to be sitting on my sofa with regret talking about that you wish that you would have went up. I have several people say things like that. I heard the scream. Or, and I didn't go and I, I knew this person needed help and I actually didn't go there. And that to me is, yeah, that's a struggle of, of a personal integrity, a deep integrity of, of helping out another human being when you know somebody is in distress. And I think maybe some of the other side is motivated by fear of not helping in some way. That's a big one because I think that's what's really up for a lot of people now. And when we're so fearful and i would take this back to what i was saying before when we're so afraid of going in the wrong direction or not getting what we want or something it can totally take us out of integrity and take us into the wrong place there's a place 
to be careful, you know, and when I say fearful, it's like, you know, if, yeah, if you're standing in the street and some dude's driving like 80 miles an hour back and forth down a 30 mile an hour thing, and they might hit you because it's maybe a drunk driver or something, there's fear in there. It's like, get out of the road because you get run over, you know? So you want to do that, but it, we want to be careful not to be making our decisions in everyday life in that place. You know, if it's not life and death in the moment and we're making decisions in that place, my experience is probably gonna make the wrong decision every time or almost every time, you know, instead of like, what's really needed here? What do I need? What does the other person need? How do we work together to achieve that? You know, it's gonna turn out way better because otherwise we're, again, going against what we don't want. We're not going towards what we do want. And you can't get to the promised land if you don't know where it is or you're not walking in that direction. You know, because I like, I love that Lazarus, you know, statement way back when, you know, the the journey of a thousand miles begins at one step, but arriving at the right destination <laughs> is because we take the step and the next step in the right direction. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little more to the story, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good start, but we got to get to the end. Yeah. I don't want to get to the end, but we're yeah. kind of at the end and, uh, and it's hot as shit in here because I had to turn the air conditioner off so that noise wouldn't be on, on the recording. But yeah, man, I, I, this is just a really interesting topic for me just around how how do we find, uh, live, uh, share, inspire our aspects of integrity in all of our relationships. And, and I want to have the conversation with you because it's wonderful to like be in line that, that, that I got a doc that's, that's an integrity. And that just feels really good for... I'm going to say personally for my like own healing process of myself to have that relationship, to feel you in integrity and that you're in relationship with me and integrity of how we speak and how you are with me in some way is the foundation to allow me to heal the way that I, I need to heal. Like there's no incongruency of any funkiness that I have to move through and past in my relationship with healing with you. So I want to thank you for that. Sure. And I just so appreciate to you, Prepo. It's like, you know, you're just like, so there, it's like willing to do the work, you know, it's like following that, that guidance and that compass. Obviously you got that inside. And, and I think that's why we, we probably known about each other for years and then yeah. we just haven't finally met. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was the part when, when, you know, I've known about you, yeah. never met you. And then when I went up to you and introduced myself and then your face kind of lit up about like, um, uh, I think it was, you said, oh yeah, I know you through Susanna. Yeah. And, and the way that you like greeted me in your eyes uh, uh, felt like very integral about like, oh, he's safe. Like the, he, I can feel joy from him when he knows of me. And that, that's a wonderful start. Yeah. You got to get reputation, guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, I mean, I can get on the mental plane, you know, when I'm writing something like I did with my blog, but it's like, it's also being in the feeling space, you know, I can just feel it right, right from as we're talking here. I mean, I don't know if we've been talking for five minutes or five hours. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's easy. Cool. Because we're, we're in the flow and we're together in it. Yeah. Sweet. Well, we're going to do this again, hopefully on something uh, or continue. Sure. Enjoy it. I'm yeah. totally down for that. Yeah, man. All right. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Great to be with you. Hey folks, so before I let you go, I do want to clarify just a few things and add some things on our conversation that I had with Mark. I really want to stress informed consent, how important that is. 
it's vitally important in my practice that I give informed consent to let people know what people can expect from therapy, some of the risks, some of the benefits, some aspects of the treatment where they also have full autonomy of continuing the process or not, how we communicate, my policies, and so forth. It's very important that people have that. And I think it is vitally important that we understand that in this day and age around our relationship with um, medical agencies and medical authority. So many people are not given informed consent around the emergency authorization of the vaccines for COVID-19. That means you're giving all of the risks and the benefits, the latest data on the reported side effects, and especially how that pertains to your individual health situation, meaning make sure that the medical practitioners know what's going on for you and to see what are the risks and the benefits for your particular situation. Now, I was very appreciative of Mark's informed consent that he gave around the EAVs in his blog back in March, which you can find on his website, com. But what I wanted to especially bring attention to is since we had our conversation on the podcast, Mark wrote another blog last month, and that was in regards to the emergency authorized mRNA COVID-19 vaccine. Is it a good idea for our children? So the reason why I'm bringing this up is being a parent and a father, I believe that I am a guardian of young children in some way, right? Let us all be guardians for, as Mark says, our most precious ones, which is our children. Children need the protection of us, our guardians, and medical ethics requires informed consent. So what I believe that Mark is it really an integrity, he walks people through in this blog all of this information around making the decisions for our younger ones who really can't make their own decisions. So I'm just putting out this information for those of you that may not know it, um, may not know where to look for it, may not be given it. So I just wanted to offer that to you so that you have informed consent and that we are all in our own integrity about making these very, very important decisions. And I just want to say I respect all of your decisions and I want us to have tolerance for everybody's decision that we're trying to make the best ones for what we think is for our well-being. And I put out this particular podcast because I love you. And I care about you. And I care about your well-being. So, the more tolerance and the more compassion we have for each other during these very challenging times that fear is put in front of our face 24-7, we're all in this together. All right, everybody. I hope you make yourselves a beautiful day. Relationships. Let's talk about it is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit prepo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only 
is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Thank you.